So today we're going to be talking about the kind of magic that always gets overlooked when doing a magic system, and that is Illuminism. Now, it may be because it's not as sexy. It may be because people get really caught up in the special effects of what magic can do, but it is an equally valid type of magic system that should be in consideration when you're developing yours. So today, let's talk about Illuminism, what it is and what it isn't, on this episode of Project Shadow. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, or, you know, that person on YouTube who does all of the things. Hi. All right, so today we are going to be talking about Illuminism. Illuminism is a very strange form of magic, at least for those who have not actually studied anything other than what appears in fantasy books. And for this discussion, I am going to be talking out of three books by Dion Fortune called The Training and Work of an Initiate, Applied Magic, and Esoteric Orders and Their Work. These books are not required for you to understand Illuminism, and other people have talked about this topic as well. So bear that in mind. I just really like the way Dion Fortune talks about these things and how she kind of classifies it and brings it up in a way that is much more systematic, shall we say, so that we can have a fair and easy discussion about how this is going to work in our stories. So what is Illuminism? Illuminism is a term derived from the very idea of the Illuminati. Now, this is the most abused term in all of modern fiction, because Illuminati actually means to be enlightened. It is the enlightened ones. It is the Latin equivalent of the word Buddha. And one who is an Illuminatus is essentially a Buddha and vice versa. And it, it kind of hurts me a little bit that this word is used so far outside of its original context because of one defunct group from the 1500s. So what is Illuminism? Illuminism is the art of seeking enlightenment. It is the desire to become an ascended master, to break the chains of this world. And depending on the school of Illuminism, exactly how they will define that breaking of the chain. You see, we can talk about this either as a religious school, where we are looking at it from the... Uh, perspective that you would see something like Hinduism or Buddhism discussing Illuminism, where we are trapped in an endless cycle of reincarnation, and it is through enlightenment that we escape. We can do this through a philosophical lens, where we are basically choosing to come to this plane and can adapt more powers onto ourselves through evolving our spirit as the flesh is evolving. And this is kind of the way that Star Trek looks at Illuminism, which it is, yes, a topic in Star Trek. 
see my previous episode on, hey, it doesn't have to be an epic fantasy series to have a magic system, <laughs> where I talk about that a little bit. But yes, Illuminism has a purpose. It has an endgame. Some of my personal favorite magic systems are Illuministic, if I can use that word. I think I'm actually coining that word because I've never seen it actually written anywhere else. I am a huge fan of Wuxia. Wuxia uses a form of Illuminism where you are constantly cultivating your core to gain more power, more presence, and the ability to do more of the things that you wish to do. That is, in and of itself, Illuminism. So, the main difference between this and most other magic systems is that Illuminism has a behavioral, moral, or philosophical core to it in a way that most magic systems do not. There are two main branches of Illuminism that we have to talk about right up front. The first is mysticism, and the second is occultism. Now, I am going to be using these terms rather academically for sakes of discussion here. In other words, I'm not talking about them in terms of any moral, philosophical, or other baggage that could be brought in to paint one as good and the other as bad. In terms that we are using, within the framework of Illuminism, a mystic is one that relies on the blessing of the universe granting them power or connection or merit. And occultism is the branch where someone seeks out the hidden knowledge, the arcana, in order to gain that knowledge and power for themselves. Very simply put, in most role-playing systems, this is the difference between a cleric and a magic user. Clerics are mystics. They receive their power via divine blessing. It's happenstance. The god either likes them or doesn't like them, has called them or hasn't called them, or whatever the case may be. A wizard, a magic user, a spellcaster, whatever they're called in the particular instance, would then be an occultist, someone who sought out the arcana, who sought out the grimoires, who sought out the spells, who desire to learn. And these come from a very a basic dyad that developed in European thought in the 4th to 5th centuries and then became elaborated on in the years after that, kind of culminating in the 8th century. And that's the Gnostic debates. Can we achieve enlightenment via our own seeking of knowledge or is it something that's just poof magic? Does it happen or is it something that we can earn? There are numerous facets to this. And again, I'm not going into any the theological debates because we're talking about how to create these things rather than the merits of various incarnations of this in our real world. A Gnostic would tell you that it is your duty to seek out Gnosis, to seek out hidden wisdom, to find the arcana. Whereas those that argued against them saw that as heretical because you just follow the rules, you obey the system that's handed down to you, and you gain wisdom. Now, I'm going to stop there because this is 
the way it's usually portrayed in the very few pieces of fiction where I have seen Illuminism brought up, though never really by that name. This gives us an idea that the occultist is kind of the rebel, the punk, and that the mystic is the goody two-shoes that does what they're told. Either of these systems can be rule-bound. Either of these systems can have a strict set of criteria placed upon them. That is not the differentiating point. There are occult orders and arcane orders that have very strict membership guidelines, very strict moral codes, and very, very strict requirements before knowledge is released to their members. That is still an occult society. The difference is exactly how we are approaching this. Is it through simple prayer and asking and hoping that the universe blesses us with the favor that we seek? Or is it through actively seeking out the knowledge and the gifts to obtain it? That's our difference here between mysticism and occultism. And we're going to kind of talk about these a little bit. I've talked about mysticism a bit in the past, especially on our episode on styles of magic systems. But I think now's a good time for us to really dig into occultism and mysticism and see exactly how they tick, because you may want to build one of these over the other. This is one of many places that I'm going to break with Dion Fortune on exactly what constitutes things, but let's talk about mysticism for a minute. She breaks up mysticism into religion and pantheism. And while I completely disagree with that breakdown, I, I would say religion and spirituality, I do agree with her subsets under that. Religion, she defines as service and adoration, whereas pantheism, she defines as power and beauty. Now, I I make the differentiation here between spirituality and religion because I don't think this is a helpful dichotomy, like most dichotomies, because there isn't really a rigid binary between being a monotheist or being a pantheist. There are many shades of gray in between these two positions, and they're not entirely polar opposite. One, because most people, when they discuss religion, completely ignore the idea of being a henotheist, someone who believes that a particular god is primary in a pantheon, but there are other gods. It also ignores the existence of panentheists, who make a very specific disagreement with pantheism. Pantheism says God is all things and all things are God. Panentheism says God is in all things and all things are in God. And the basic distinction between those two ideas is a long protracted theological debate that I'm not going to go into at this moment. But the main difference is whether or not you see every individual thing as divine or having divine character or attributes present within it. 
But, again, not to get into the wellspring of theological debates that we could be having, because that's not what this podcast is, I do like this distinction between religion and spirituality. For characters to go this way, they are pretty much going to be either, if they're going down the religious track, on a path of service, primarily, or on a path of adoration, sometimes both, or a mix of the two. And if they're going down the spiritual path, that is going to be one of power and one of beauty. Now, what is meant by power and beauty? Power is what we were talking about earlier, this idea that gifts are given. And that's the difference between power given through service over on the religion side and this. This is just power is given. The gods choose. Why do the gods choose? They choose just because they do. And the difference between beauty and adoration is that adoration puts something up on a pedestal, whereas beauty beholds itself. It sees the thing as beautiful, but does not require that it be held aloft in the most holy position where it cannot be touched by the unsoiled masses. Mysticism can play a very interesting role in your fiction, even if you're not writing visionary fiction, as we discussed on the episode about styles of magic. But in course of a story, you would you really need to ask yourself, because again, binaries are not helpful, and we're going to be talking about a lot of binaries and stuff in this episode. Because someone is on the occult track does not mean that they do not have any mystical leanings. And when someone is on the mystical track does not mean that they are going to choose necessarily between religion and spirituality. Their life will be some conglomeration of these things. The main thing that you need to take away from this is that if you are doing a mystical magic system, then the practitioner is not in charge. In fact, there may be absolutely no guarantee whether or not the magic works. It may simply be a miracle system where they pray and hope. And should the divine entities of the realm agree to bestow the blessing, then the blessing is bestowed. But should they not agree to bestow the blessing, then the blessing is not that can be a really interesting style of magic to write and a really interesting one to play with. And also, before we get into occultism, let me remind you, your magic system can be broad and include both. In my Ashdancer setting, there are all of the above kinds of magic, depending on who you are and the kind of magic that you practice. So we're just t- talking more about how that magic can be inflected into a setting than on the hard and fast rules of which category it should fall into. Now, I don't have the time to go into the entire family tree that branches off of occultism on her wonderful chart here, but I will talk about the top row because it will be very helpful and instructive for you if you're planning on doing your own Illuminist organization or magic system in your setting. So 
Under occultism, we have cosmology, cosmology, correspondence, magic, esoteric philosophy, and initiation. Now, these are very important different ways of looking at occultism, because remember, the very idea and notion behind occultism in this context is that there is secret knowledge out there in the universe that should your characters be able to discover it, they will gain access to various powers or levels of consciousness or abilities or what have you for your setting. So when we're talking about the cosmos, what we're dealing with here is this understanding of how the universe actually came to be, that there is a secret to it. And there are many ways to go about this. This could be from the basic Gnosticism idea that there is a secret hidden God that created the universe at first, and then a dark demiurge who took over. This could be a pantheistic understanding that, oh, we are secretly the the universe incarnate in and of itself so that we can understand ourselves. There are a lot of different ways to go into that. And cosmology should be a part of your world building, whatever you're doing. But if you are doing an occult organization, that cosmology should work in here. So if you wanted to do a basic hermetic cosmology, then the basic law that would appear in your story is as above, so below. So whatever is changed in the heavenlies, something will change in the world below. And this goes into the second one here, which is correspondence, that things relate to each other. Now, this could be looked at as a form of sympathetic or asympathetic magic, which are common tropes used in both hard and soft magic systems that like brings about like. So For example, in the Final Fantasy games, if you need to revive someone, you use a feather from a phoenix or phoenix down because a phoenix rises from the ashes, just as the character that has the phoenix down thrown upon them will rise from their KO'd state. One for one, the things correspond. If you really want to see how that works in detail, then pick your poison of the... uh, Full Metal Alchemist versions they're out there because that's basically the entire plot of both of them though again pick your poison magic is kind of what we've been talking about this whole time and magic in and of itself gets broken up into a lot of different groups and we'll be talking about that a little bit more in a very special thing that I'll be talking about at the end of this episode But when you're talking about magic, this is the actual ability to manipulate reality through these unseen forces, utilizing the secret knowledge that you've gained in order to do so. You then have your esoteric philosophy, which will come in various forms. This philosophy will help you in a lot of different ways. The most interesting one is that she includes psychism under this, which means the ability to develop psychic powers. So telepathy and whatnot would actually be a branch off of esoteric philosophy that the actual practices that you would have to take to do bilocation or telepathy or telesthesia or, well, any of the mind powers that you see empathy in most fiction, that that is where they would arise. And the last is initiation. 
Now, initiation is a fodder for a lot of fiction, but when done right, there is actually a reason for the initiation other than to give a go-to 10 quest to our heroes so that they have something to do to fill the pages between major plot points. Initiation, when done well, really fulfills a lot of different things in our story. So by now, you're probably asking yourself, Charlie, exactly how is that different from any of the other magic systems that we're talking about? Well, because in a lot of fiction, unfortunately, magic systems exist as a way to justify power or to justify the strange occurrences that are necessary for plot contrivances to move the story forward. Neither of those, to me, is all that interesting. There, there are ways to do it that are fun and valuable, and uh, to, if, if truth be told. But the power of bringing something like in a system, a systemized look like Illuminism into your setting and into your characters is that the things that they are learning actually make a difference. Could you imagine if you were reading Harry Potter and Hermione actually had to learn the whys behind magic working? other than because you said a magic word and waved your hand in a particular way while holding a stick. We know that there's more to it, but we're never explained as the audience what that is because soft magic system, and apparently the characters are not either, or whatever explanation that is given to them does not affect them on a philo- philosophical, yeah, I can't say that word, philosophical level at all. And that is problematic, for me at least in moving forward with all of this. So, what is the power of doing something like that? Well, you see, if we are going to actually sit back and allow all of this wonderful stuff to happen and to take place, then we have to ask ourselves some very simple questions. Number one, shouldn't our magic actually affect the characters? Like, just the art of learning how to cast spells or do any of the other kinds of magic work that may or may not be present in your setting, shouldn't that actually have an effect on them as people? Should that not have an effect on the cultures that exist in the world? I personally think that it should, and so developing a philosophical underpinning, or at least some understanding of how that works, is vitally important. I think it's even more important if you're doing a soft magic system because the philosophy is really all that you have to hang yourself on because everything else is up for grabs. This is, again, why the last couple books in the Harry Potter system series really fall apart as far as the magic goes because, well, I can kind of understand why what happens to Harry happens, but it feels like we're getting a lot of lore dumps out of nowhere because, well, we previously didn't have rules and... That lack of rules made some of the stakes in that story inconvenient. And of course, further rules are not even explained to us so that we just have to take on faith that, oh, okay, that's what happened. If there was at least a solid philosophical underpinning to the stories right from the beginning, and I don't mean just the stories, I mean the magic itself, then we would at least have something to understand how the magic system is supposed to work. It's really that simple. It is 100% that simple. 
I want my stories to have meaning. I want them to have purpose. And I want the characters to be vibrant and alive for the people who are participating with them. Even more than that, I want my readers to have a chance to figure it out. So even if I'm not doing a hard magic system, I still want my readers to understand enough about how magic works in the setting that if the solution is a wizard did it, they have a chance of figuring that out before it just just deus ex machinas its way onto the stage. Illuminism, to me, is the nice middle ground between doing a full-bore hard magic system and doing a soft magic system. If you're just going to do a soft magic system, you still need to put the legwork in to explain how it works. So, come up with your esoteric philosophy or several competing ones. That's the brilliance with arcane knowledge is people are trying to tease it out so each group may have a part of the whole answer and they may appear contradictory just because they don't see the full picture so have fun with it but at least give your readers something to hold on to if they're going to get invested in your magic system at all because honestly if you're not going to do that just write up the actual list of spells that are available in the grimoire and just D&D it because if you're not going to let your readers have a chance of figuring out the magic or participating in that aspect of the story then you might as well just give them a grimoire to pick from Okay, I get it. I was a little bit snarky there at the end, but uh, I'm having one of those weeks, and I'm just telling you the way I feel it. (laughs) So hopefully that works for you. Now, I have to say something really kind of sad and also exciting. This is the last World Building Wednesday that I am ever going to do on Project Shadow. Probably. More than likely. But don't worry. It's not that I'm killing the series. It's that I'm trying to refocus everything that I'm doing And I am going to be giving the world building its own podcast. Yeah, you heard me. I'm going to be doing a podcast specifically on world building. Now, this podcast, unlike Project Shadow, will have distinct seasons to it, which means that there will be hiatuses that I can take some time off and not have to worry about doing episodes. It also means that I will be collecting information from y'all on what you want the stories to be about So I can cover those things and actually do batch recordings of episodes. Again, so I can have time off. I I do a lot, and I don't want to stop doing all the things that I'm doing, but I would really like to uh, have some vacation days built in. And the nice thing about podcasts is I can record them all whenever I have the time to record them, and schedule them to come out so that you can have them when you want. So, it's not up yet, but I will be making announcements on my various social media channels when it does launch. I will be launching a new podcast called Myth Weaving, which is going to be specifically about world building and all of the different things that you can do for world building. It will be pre-populated with a whole bunch of episodes because I'm going to precede it with all of the Project Shadow episodes that I've done so far on world building. So world building 101 will become season one of the podcast. World building 102 will become season two of the podcast. 
and going forward the remaining episodes in 201 will be the rest of season two but specifically for that podcast and i'm really excited about this i think it's going to help me keep myself focused and allow me to do more specialized things if i know that we're doing a podcast just about world building I can get into all of the nitty gritty and the nerdiness that I want to without feeling like I'm going to be alienating parts of the audience that aren't specifically interested in world building. So keep an eye on that. Check out projectshadow.com regularly. And of course my social media, because I will be announcing it when it comes out. And next Wednesday, if you're like, where's my world building Wednesday? Well, it'll be over there. (laughs) So I'm excited. I'm very excited about this, and I hope you are excited as well. All right. Well, that's enough for me today. Thank you so very much for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear addressed on this or that show, down in the show notes, you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean so I can use it on the show. I would love to hear from you. If you have any other topics that you want me to discuss and you want to not do it with your voice, you know, set me up on social media. I am C.E. Dorset on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. I highly recommend not using the Facebook links because I rarely go over to Facebook if I don't have to, though I do see the stuff from the pages because I use their business tools to see what's over there. But, you know, personal Facebook is kind of a garbage fire, and I don't like it at all. So I'm not doing that. Anywho... <laughs> If you can support any if the work that I'm doing, it would be greatly appreciated. In the show notes, you'll find a link to listener support, Patreon, and my coffee account for one-time donations. Thank you so very, very much to everyone who's doing that. It means the world to me. Y'all are amazing. Thank you so very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you don't have any money right now or you don't feel like giving, that's perfectly all right. But... If you have anything that you would like, if you, uh, so that completely wrong. If there's anything that I do that you really enjoy, please share it with other people. That helps out so much. You have absolutely no idea how helpful that is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. It means the absolute world to me. Alrighty. I guess that's it for me today. Remember, black lives matter. Black trans lives matter. Trans identities are valid. And until next time, may you have the courage to ride your dreams into reality, and don't forget to have the fun. Bye.